Hello and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. This is no normal episode of True Crime Guys Podcast. This is episode four of the Freeloader series. The Freeloader series is a uh, look inside the True Crime Guys vault, if you will. We release old Patreon episodes from roughly about two years ago for your free listening pleasure. This episode was released on September 9th, 2017. This is about Stanley Tookie Williams, the co-founder of the Crips, one of America's most notorious street gangs. I say co-founder because it's kind of controversial. There's a few other people that are associated with the uh, introduction of the Crips, but uh, you'll hear all that in the episode. But if you like what you hear and you want to hear more of these heavy hitters of crime, you can go to patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. And for two bucks a month, you can get all of our available premium episodes there, plus another sideshow called Higher Thoughts, and all kinds of bonus content. We actually have a, uh, an interview with a guy named Jamel Barnes, who is not necessarily Tookie's biggest fan, and says that he had nothing to do with the start of the Crips. But, you know, that's up for speculation. But we'll let you all decide for yourselves. So without further ado, here's Stanley Tookie Williams. What's up, bitches? Y'all ready for a Patreon exclusive? Are you ready to see some astounding tricks? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. This is a. Uh... This is something different. We've looked around. We haven't seen anybody that's done this. There's not a whole lot out there. Right. Um, it's unlike which is strange. ones that we've done. Surprisingly, as many yeah. as we've done, you'd think we would have done like a street gang one. Yeah. But we haven't. Right. And this is... We've done a Mexican cartel gang, but... Yeah, kind of. In a way. Yeah. In a way. But this one is... Um, this one's different. We're kind of we're going against the grain here, doing yeah. somebody a little less known, but... I think you'll enjoy. I don't it. know what it is. When I heard about this guy, it's just fascinating, and I I had to like learn more about him. Just the way you, you just see a photo of him, you're like, "What the fuck's this guy's deal?" Yeah, <laughs> and you start learning that he was like a co-founder of a gang. Something you're like, "Holy and shit!" And everyone's googling Tukey Williams right now. <laughs> <laughs> they already did. Yeah, they already did. But it doesn't matter because you know you're gonna hear a bunch of shit that you didn't, you, yeah. you couldn't find just through a quick Google search because we, right. we go deep. <laughs> yeah. We go deep down the rabbit holes. Right, he's a, he's a, the YouTube rabbit hole, the web, the Google rabbit hole. I ended up on some weird forums. The rabbit holes, yeah. I have a lot of speculation. Tookie ain't shit. It was yeah. about this guy. I'm like, God damn it! Now what have I studied this guy for a week for? <laughs> now I got to study this other guy. That That's you what happens. Shit. You you study your you study yourself out of being interested. Right. In the case. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. No, this one was fun. One, it was a fun one to study. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I wish there was more out there. Honestly, it's uh, it was so fun to study that I'm still excited about doing it even after a rough week. Yeah, continued doing this new job, and then also I'm like half sick. I don't know if it's just congestion or what it is. You might notice that I sound differently. You do. And then, you sound awful. And then my you son, <laughs> and then my son's been teething, so I've, like I deal with him whenever my wife's not here. I just deal with him screaming his head off, and yeah. And then I end up setting him down, walking out of the room, and screaming my head off. That's why my voice is gone. <laughs> Screen into a pillow. We've all been there. If anybody hasn't been there, then they just don't have kids. Right. (laughs) Because we've been there. No kids are that much of angel that you don't have to deal with at some point. I just feel bad for him. He's just like, I know he's teething. He's just drooling and just, I just feel terrible. 
And they don't know. My wife came home and she's like, why didn't you tell me? You could have given him some baby Tylenol. I'm like, fuck. (laughs) He just like suffered for two, three hours. All I did was give him half a bottle of Jack Daniels. (laughs) He's still screaming. (laughs) No. (laughs) Right? He's stumbling around the house like a little. (laughs) (laughs) He's been rolling in a circle for the last 30 minutes. (laughs) All right. You want to get into this episode? Oh, I guess so. If we must. Okay. Hello, Stanley Williams. Uh, Yes, it is. We can put an end to this cycle that creates deep pain in the hearts of our mothers, our fathers, and our people. It's a public service announcement. We just let you know that we're not condoning gang violence. We pay tribute to our homie, our big homie, Stanley Tookie Williams. This is your tribute. Well, Tookie Williams was one of the original founders of the Crips. He was the Nobel Peace Prize nominee before Arnold Schwarzenegger had him killed. Fuck you, Arnold. We are very disappointed in the governor that purports to be for all of the people. We have now put him in the place of God to actually be the Terminator that actually terminates. And this is not a movie. When it comes to death penalty, yes, I believe in the death penalty. I don't get rattled. Nothing can rattle me. Nothing will ever rattle me. I've been rattled the majority of my life. For anyone to think that murder can be resolved by murdering, it's it's uh, ridiculous. I mean, we look at all the wars that we have throughout uh, other countries and other nations, and all it does is uh, this violence, all it does is engender violence. There's, there seems to be no end but a continuous cycle, an incessant uh, process of blood and gore that doesn't end. So I said to myself, his death is my life. I'm going to take his teachings and doctrines and bring them to life. They will never, ever execute his message of nonviolence his message of peace, his message of denouncing gangs and violence. You can't kill that. I asked you what you are most proud of in your life. What do you most regret? Creating the Crips. Okay, very excited about this one. Our case this week is a guy by the name of Stanley Tookie Williams. Oh, how do you get that nickname, Lauren? Um, it's a crazy story. <laughs> Right? It's his middle name. He was born with it. Oh, really? Yeah, he had to address Did that. I read not a, see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read a book called Blue Rage, uh, Black Redemption, a memoir by Tookie Williams. This yeah, is that was his latest book. While he was on death row awaiting execution. Yep. You know, we're not going to spoil whether he was or not just yet, unless you Googled it. You not, might already know. Right. Um, but yeah, that was just his middle name. It was a family name, Tookie. He was pretty much called that from a small you know, child. Right. And it stuck with him all the way through. And it, it it's it fits him kind of. It's it kind of funny to see pictures of him. This he was jacked, by the way, which is one of the reasons I had to study. This he guy. was a badass. Just after seeing photos of him, I was just like, "God damn, why don't I have? Arms? Why do I not? Why do I not have arms like that? Right? Giant black arms. I want that. Giant black arms. <laughs> Twenty-two inch. Right. Beautiful black arms. That definition. Right. It looks like he could. Uh, 
Bi- just do a bicep curl with fucking Chuck Norris and throw him across, yeah. the, throw him across the city. Yeah, he was a stocky dude. dude, and he was under six foot too. So he like, packed it all in a small frame. He's like five foot ten with like twenty two inch pythons. Yeah, ridiculous. Dude could choke out a lion easily. Right. <laughs> Funny story. Like laying on his on his side, he was actually six foot two. Right. <laughs> <It's kind> of, <laughs> no shit. Popeye walked by one day. Yeah. I was like, "What the fuck? What?" <laughs> I did hear a story. He told that um, Arnold. He was working. Like I guess Arnold was working out. I think it was on the on the beach in California. Yeah, I heard Venice this Be- as well. Yeah, Venice Beach, and Arnold saw him, and Arnold was like talking to some girl, and then he stopped and saw Tookie walking by, and he's like, "Those aren't arms. Those are legs." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he was insulting him or if it was like a... Yeah. No, that's definitely a A, a, a praise, compliment. right? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's weird when you realize that Arnold Schwarzenegger would later play a part in the downfall of Tookie. Yeah, that is strange, Ultimate right? demise, yeah, very strange. A little foreshadowing <laughs> there. It was on arms, the leg, now execute that man. No, execute them. <laughs> I can't have someone with arms like that walking around. His body is beautiful, but he will not beat me in Mr. Olympia. <laughs> he must be gone. <laughs> Terminate him. <laughs> Terminate. Jesus, that was cheesy. <laughs> Very. All right, so Tookie, Stanley Tookie Williams. The reason we're talking about him is because he would end up being the co-founder of the infamous game, uh, The Crips. The Crips, never heard of The them. West Side Crips, to be specific. There was a lot right. of offshoots, a lot of Crip, a lot of different mm-hmm. types of Crips, a lot of different Crip sets, yeah. you know, whatever, Grape Street and all these different Crip sets. I think the Crips today have like over 50,000 members. That's it? I they have a lot, man. It's still, yeah. still you know... What he was a part of starting has not died at all. No, it's still going strong. But I think that has to do a lot with the with the with the neighborhoods and the yeah. You know what I'm saying? The economic class that they're in, climate of the areas. Yeah, right. Well, let's start with his uh, upbringing. He, I would say, as far as a birth, he was born on December 29th, 1953. I looked into celebrity births. Honestly, yeah, he's probably like the, he's probably the most famous one of them all. There's like nobody of note. Oh, I'm, he's I'm more looking. famous than the celebrity. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm like, maybe I'm out of the loop. I don't <laughs> care about any of these people. I've never seen them before. They're just like young. I guess maybe if you're like 16, you might be like, oh, that person. Right. I was right. like, I could care less about any of these people, and none of them are a big deal. Right. Oh, he's born on the same day as the janitor in Teen Wolf. He's, awesome. Right. <laughs> it was that. It was that caliber. I'm like, Tookie's got got all these people beat. Yeah. Like. The dude that's actors, right? The dude that co-founded the the uh, Crips is definitely a bigger deal than the fucking yeah. janitor in Teen Wolf. <laughs> I don't know where I got that reference. I from. actually think he was in there. Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> he was born December 29, nineteen fifty three, in New Orleans Charity New Orleans Charity Hospital. Um, this was pre civil rights Louisiana. Um, his mother was seventeen years old, and because she was uh, a colored woman at the time, is what they would you know refer to her as. Right. She was. Uh, he was born with. She, a, she with probably a, still was, still is now, a colored woman. You talking about? <laughs> you said she was a colored woman, but that's then, how they that's referred, what they referred to. That's her. how they referred to black people at the time. Was <laughs> right, right. You know, right. it's because it's a pretty just, derogatory. Way just to, busting your balls. All right. Uh, he was given birth by C-section, cesarean section, by his seventeen-year-old mother, and she was given no anesthetics. Damn. Yeah, so he the way he put it, he came out script, kicking and screaming, and you know I don't know. I'm I sure mean, either way, even too. if she gave him natural birth, she's still in for it. So, oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, either way. But imagine getting your stomach cut open with no anesthetics. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. There's a lot of arguments that go on with C-section. I'm not going to get into it because I don't want to upset some female listener. But you know, there's arguments within my family where it's like because my mom had me C-section and my aunt who had several kids mm-hmm. the natural way. She was like, you haven't even really given birth. You know, like oh. that kind of argument where it's like because you were so drugged up and stuff, you yeah. didn't feel anything. And right. You just kind of get the baby pulled out and that's it. 
I'm not going to act like I could understand either of it because I'm never well, going to give birth. You can't blame those women or fault those women because that's like saying, why don't you walk everywhere? Why do you use your car? Right. Why do you, you know, why do you use your phone? Why don't you run to their house and right. knock on their door and talk to them? Right. Yeah. It's like the technology is there. We're advanced. Yeah. Like, and a lot of times why you not don't use have a choice. Make life easier. And a lot of times you don't, they have, don't a have a choice. Yeah. A child like could my, be breach. Or, yeah. In my case, I had uh, the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck oh, and that's yeah. why it was an emergency C-section. God, Lauren, you're trying to end it before it started. Bro, bro. I was getting choked out even back in the, in the womb. <sighs> Damn. You, you want to mess with me? You know what? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even be choked out as a My baby. My mom bro. used to choke me out, motherfucker. I wasn't even born. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Uh, his mother was a well-known track star, and I guess he would end up getting those genetics. He was very. Uh, he would later be very fast. He was yeah. well-known for his speed. I think this dude had a great genetic uh, start. Oh, no doubt. You know what I mean? Like, even... I know he worked hard to get his physique, but a lot of those guys have a great starting point. Yeah. They're, they're muscular from the start. You know what I mean? Good genetics, athletic family. The, uh, the starting running back on my high school team, uh, we called him Booby from, uh, Friday night lights. Friday night lights. Yeah. Yeah. That, he, shit. That, he was kind of like, you know, he, he would yeah. show up and he was the best player on the field and we would all be grinding in the, in the weight room. Right, he's over there eating Cheetos and drinking uh, a Dr. Pepper. You wouldn't, <laughs> you, you wouldn't see him. We saw him like twice all year in the weight room. He'd roll in, fucking throw like 300 on the bench and just like rep it a few times and then walk out. And we're like, fuck you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> You're just sweating our ass off, yeah. trying to lift half of what he's got on there. Right. It's like, he's over here like 97, 98, <laughs> all in a day's work, bitches. <laughs> Dude, that ex, the extra hard clang on the fucking right. weights and walks out. <laughs> Just guys. puts it back with one hand while he's, yeah. he's drinking a soda. There's always those guys at the gym that have to throw the weights down. Like oh, you, even yeah. with headphones, you can hear this boom. Yeah. Look at me. Look what I just listed. Right. Lifted, bro. Fuck you. Yeah, it's more than me. I don't care. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, his mother would was known to discipline him with and use like Bible quotes uh, and scriptures as right. she was whipping him. I mean, that was common at the time. That's yeah, very common. Yeah. Back in especially, the 50s. Especially in Louisiana, in the Southeast. I mean, yeah. they're still doing that. <laughs> yeah. No presence of a father in his life. He abandoned him at about one. Yeah. Before. But he'd show up every now and then though, right? Yeah. He'd stroll in. That just makes it worse though, I think, doesn't it? Like probably. You're just it makes like, it harder on I don't even guy. know you, dude. There was I mean, a story later on where his dad showed up when, uh, in his teen years when his mom could barely handle any, him anymore. And uh, his mom met him at like a hotel with his to meet with his dad, and his dad yeah. like took him in the room, threw a few bucks on the bed, and like walked out and never came back. Just threw him a few dollars, and that was it. That's too late, man, to try and introduce yourself into a father to introduce himself into a son's life at a teenager is too late. Right, oh, that kid's already late. harboring so much resentment. Yeah, yeah, it's it's too late most of the time. I'm not I'm not saying yeah. all the time, but it's important too. to note that uh, Tookie experienced a seizure before the age of two that required a spinal tap. That is kind of something, you know, these uh, traumatic uh, medical emergencies that happen um, like pre-age five is very common with people that we study on here that end up killing people later on. Right, right. And he also had two serious head injuries. One, like he ran into a door, something happened with a door, and then Mm. also with monkey bars as a child. I did not know that. I don't know if he fell off and landed on his head or what it was, but... This must have been in that book that you're reading? Yeah. Okay. He started learning street rules at a really young age because he was in such a bad climate. We talked about, you know. Yeah, like he was like running the streets at like six years old, right? Yeah, even younger, like four or five, he started learning to steal things because he had nothing. You know, he was he was he came from such poverty. Yeah. His mother had no money. And pretty much everyone around him had no money. You know, they were right. black people living in, in squalor and yeah. the system was really failing them. Right. Um, the schools, he called it diseducation. 
Yeah. <laughs> where it was like from- the shit that he wanted to read. He loved reading as a child. Right. That was one of his favorite things to do. He said that he would take like all the books off the bookshelf at his house and just throw them in the middle of the room and just like on the floor and just start reading and see if he could get to the end of the books. Yeah. But like he would go to school and the teachers would just put like arts and crafts in front of him and he'd want to pull out a book and they wouldn't let him. These schools in these areas were basically just babysitting these (laughs) kids. Babysitting, yeah. Yeah, they weren't there to try and teach them anything. Yeah. They, They weren't giving them a future. Yeah, they were killing him before they started, man. Yeah, he uh, he learned at a young age, as we mentioned, to start taking what you can't have. Um, he noticed that you know some people had things, right? Uh, some kids they were more privileged, had things, probably mm-hmm. white kids and whatnot, right? And uh, so he learned to adapt and survive. He would just um, uh, a quote from him: "I learned from the street culture that criminal criminal activity was an economic necessity, and violence was a means to a desired end." Um, mm. This is a time when Jim Jim Crow laws were still promoting racism, segregation in the South. Um, that combined with Tookie's bad behavior at a young age um, gave his mom the decision to move to California. Yeah. And this was in 1959 when Tookie was six years old. Right. That's what I was saying. It ended up kind as of soon as he gets there, though, he's like roaming the streets. That's what I was talking about earlier. I'm, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I thought you were already in. Yeah. Um, in LA at this time. No, but he was even bad before six, which yeah, is yeah, part yeah. of the mom's decision to move them to California and right. relocate. Right. They were trying to escape the South because it was still so much racism going oh, on absolutely. there. And of course you're not going to get away from it in California either, uh, but no. it's, it's the time. At least you have more like-minded yeah. people um, yeah. in the same situation as you yeah. in California. And it seems like maybe that was even worse environment for him because then there was more, kids for him to roam with with oh, right. similar shit going on. Yeah. Higher population of the same thing. I mean, yeah. yeah. You're just, you just migrated to he the same He said that thing. the city that they, the part of town that they moved to, which was South Central, the west side of LA. Right. He said that it was like a core, an apple that was rotting at the core. Like it looked good on yeah. the outside. They had like, you know, nice looking houses and whatnot, but right. it was, it was a facade. And I think a lot of that came from his mother's perception of the place. Like mm-hmm. I've, I, I'd imagine she really talked it up to him. Like, okay, we're going to go, we're going to move out to California. Right. We're going to start a new life. People are different there. Life will be different. And then he got there. And, you and know, because of their the economic situation, they were right back where they were. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they got a duplex apartment um, in South Central. Um, there he began struggling in school. Uh, he did have one good teacher back in, in uh, Louisiana that he kind of kept bringing up in the book and that she helped him along. She spent time with him, allowed him to learn what he wanted to do. And then yeah. when he got back to when he went, got to Los Angeles, it was more of the same, um, with the bad right. teachers that he experienced where it, it was, like you said, babysitting. Yeah. And it was, and he's, that's when he started really getting into more trouble. He wouldn't, he, cause he wasn't engaged as a student. Right. They're not this is coming from his mouth. So we don't, we weren't there. We don't know what happened, but from right. his perspective in the book, which was, you know, um, obviously his own take on his right. And life. we're not naive enough to think that <laughs> everything he, he was innocent. Said, right? He was an angel. Like, right. obviously this, this man was not an angel. Okay. Right. We get that, but it's just, you know, this is his story. And then also there's, there's some other things that we well, there's no were doubt. able to, back, you know, compare it with. Yeah. Well, and it's pretty understood that the, the school systems in, in these, oh yeah, yeah. in these downtrodden areas are going to not be as. <laughs> right. Right. They're not going to, uh, harbor along the youth quite as well as some uh, some of the more privileged areas right. that have more money and you know yeah. the money goes right into school systems so if the, if the school systems have no money you're going to get lesser teachers and, and these teachers weren't pay- getting paid anything right and these teachers were at the bottom of the barrel and the, the classrooms were probably filled with a lot of troubled youth without um, good parents and you know without a great child a great home to go go to so right. they just 
you know, it's probably just all in all, it was just a bad environment in general. Yeah. Um, he starts getting into a lot more fights. Didn't he um, actually start working <clears throat> for a guy who was dog fighting first? Yeah. Before he kind of got into it. He his was own. patching up dogs in yeah. dog fights. That was like a little job that he had picked up where they would right. there would be these dog fights where there was betting involved. And then yep. when, the, when the fight would end, the dog that lost or the dog that won, I guess the dog that lost was pretty much killed, right? If yeah, it wasn't, if it wasn't already, already dead. dead, yeah. And then the one that survived, Tookie would uh, be the kid that would clean it up and patch it up yep. and all this stuff. Bathe it, feed it, water, take care of it, yeah. Right, and he, he almost like a running like a shelter for these types of dogs. Right, yeah. This is the kind of stuff he's learning as a child, man. Yep. This is like, how can you expect a kid? And he's like getting this paid thing? in like weed, <laughs> right? Like booze, money, whatever, you know. And he's he's taking it at this young age. Yeah, <sighs> so crazy. But eventually, that evolves into actual fighting with kids. Right, like that's where it gets crazy. And then they realize that Tookie actually had had a talent for this sort of thing. Well, when he first got to LA, he's like we said, six years old, and it's it's an environment that walking to school, at mm-hmm. school, you're immediately challenged. I think it was like the first day that he was at school, some kid walked up to him, and uh, I forget what he said to Tookie, but it was like in a sense to put his guard down. And then just socked him right in the face. And, oh, and shit. like, yeah, like it was that type of environment. It was yeah. like sink or swim. You know, there was moments where he didn't want to go to school because. Hey, man, you want to sit with me at lunch? <laughs> yeah. There was another moment where uh, one of the bullies that came over, that there was little group groups of bullies slash like little mini gangs type thing going yeah. on, little clicks going on. And uh, he's sitting there and a kid comes up to him while he's sitting in the cafeteria and uh, asked for his lunch money and he wouldn't give it to him. He's like, all right. And then so like the next day, that kid with all of his friends jumped Tookie in the hallway. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so that's, he didn't want to go back the next day, obviously. Those kids yeah. ended up going to juvie for something else. And that's the only reason he went back. And it was just that kind of shit going on. So that's right. how he learns to start. He learned to start striking first, is what he learned. Right. He, he learned it. If someone gave you an opening, like if someone was going to take their shirt off to fight, he yeah. would just punch them right as their shirt was coming off. Oh, he yeah. He had no rules as far no, as no, fighting. No. It, the only rule was win. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then and he started he got, getting street rep, like you said, yeah. for that. And when he started getting in these fight rings or whatever, like it was the same way. Yeah. Like it was whatever. Whatever yeah. you could find and use, like. Right. It was a street fight until the other person was unconscious. Yeah. And a lot of times he would become really good friends with the one that he would beat up afterwards. Yeah. They get in. Yeah, that's very common. I'm sure we've all, we've all kind of experienced that. A lot of the, a lot of my friends I would fight with get into full on fist fights or like you get yeah. into a fight with a kid you don't even know, but then you kind of respect each other afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of times best friends are made that way. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, he started uh, around this time ditching school in favor of downtown LA hustling. He would hit the downtown LA area and he had made a few friends during this time and th- those kids were ditching with him. Right. About and, how old was he here, you think? Uh, seven, eight. Damn, already? Crazy, right? Skipping school, he's like, what, in third grade? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, he's not learning Somewhere between there. seven, eight, all the way up to 12 years old, he's doing this often. And he's also yeah. getting transferred from middle school to middle school. Um, yeah, he's getting kicked out. And initially, reputation's following him and growing. And yeah, initially when they would go down to downtown LA, they were they were stealing just from stores and stuff, stuff that they wanted, shoes, um, jewelry, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then they also started hustling. They would, you know... Um, kind of street acts they were like play to sympathy you know ask for money from people right all that kind of thing oh they were kind of like trying to con people running their own little con ring huh there's another quote downtown had become our institution for higher learning it's it's a curriculum of thievery deceit and robbery promised a diploma and criminality 
Damn, he was really well spoken, man. Especially yeah, well, by the end. Yeah, well, like we said, he always loved to read. He did. And, yeah, that was and, obvious. Yeah, from a young age, his mom always—I think his mother even. Um, yeah, they—they they always went to church mm-hmm. um, at a young age back in uh, New Orleans and even in L.A. And she made him, and he found out later on that he had a sister, and well, she she came back to live with them, and yeah. his mother would send them to like speech etiquette schools and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, and there was a time where he went to stay, like his mom got a, a boyfriend, and he had his own family, and they would go visit her boyfriend's family. Yeah, and those kids had more of like a street etiquette to their to their uh, vocabulary, the way they talked, and they would actually shit all over. Um, Tookie and his sister because they talk so well. Uh. And then they were like, what's wrong with you? They're almost like being, they're saying that they were like white folk, the way they talked and stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. So they were getting kind of shit on for that. Right. So, um, but I think this education thing that he's talking about with the street, street education is like, because he felt like the school system was failing him so badly right? that this was his way to learn some new yeah, so this was his new actually, skill set. Yeah, his new yeah. skill set that could, this was his plan, game plan going forward, which says something right. about how badly the system, he felt the system must have failed him that the, at such a young age, he's already right. turning to that lifestyle. Especially with a supportive mother, and, right. you know, who was a strong religious woman as well. But it seems odd, though. It's almost like he kept the religion in his back pocket his whole life. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's like, ah, it'll be I there. I pull this it'll, out later. It'll be there when I need it. Right. Right. He's well, like, all I got to do is repent before I die, right? right. You know what I'm saying? And it, as much as his mother tried to help, he was the latchkey kid. You know, it was, it was a single mother. She ended up getting a boyfriend later on, but right. you know, most of his young childhood, his mother was at work. Yep. He'd go to school and come home, and then he was free to do what he wanted for the most part, and that's where Absolutely. he started hanging out outside more. Yeah. And There's no Xbox the, to keep you busy at this time, you know? Right. And to get the things he wanted, he realized that violence and force was a good way to do yeah. it. Might makes right to... Might makes right. Old Pans Ram. Pans Ram's book. He was probably reading that. He's probably reading his script. <laughs> his art. Right. His, uh, what is writings? Yeah. By 12 years old, he was uh, constantly drinking and smoking weed. Um, and he started because we talked about him transferring from middle school to middle school. When one school couldn't handle him, his yep. mother would have to find one that could. A lot of them wouldn't take him, and then one would, and he would go there and eventually get kicked out of that one. Right. He actually started picking up little groupings of like followers. Like He was a natural leader. When he walked into a room, yeah. people would later talk about how it's like Tookie – when Tookie spoke, people listened. Right. When Tookie did something, they well, followed. Tookie, well, Tookie was a big deal to Tookie. So yeah, that, that played a big end. role. L- hold on real quick. When you were talking about, um, what did he say? Did he, did he mention in your, in the book that you read, did he mention anything about why he was kicked out of all these schools? Like, was it his fault or was it because people had it out for him or? It was a mix did, of both, but mainly okay. it was, it was mainly that they couldn't keep him engaged. He didn't care about what they were teaching oh. or whatnot. And so he was So he is taking out. the responsibility for it. He's just saying, yeah, yeah, they, I was bored. So fuck yeah. them. Yeah. That, okay. and, that and fighting usually. Yeah. But I can't, I, can, I, can, I just find it hard to believe you could avoid fighting in this time period in the, in the, in, in, uh, in these school districts. South Central during yeah, the right. freaking seventies and eighties and nineties. And even now probably it'd be hard to go to school without, you're going to have to find, it's kind of like, right. It almost seems like prison. It sounds crazy, but like, you know how you go in there and you got to find like a group quick or else you're like being alone, you're fucked. Right. So like a new kid going to these schools, there's no fucking way he's not going to get yeah. in fights. He's just, there's no way. Especially talking like Carlton from the Fresh Prince. (laughs) (laughs) What the hell? Remember that episode of Fresh Prince where that dude calls Carlton out? The way he talks, calls him a sellout and shit. And Carlton like rips his ass a new one. Holy shit. Yeah. Did he do the dance afterwards? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) 
beat his ass and then did the Carlton over him. <laughs> hey, that dude's a beast. Right. Well, I mean, he was kind of like uh, Urkel. Remember Urkel? Like, and then all, yeah. some episodes he'd come in as like his real self and yeah, he's all cool he was, and shit. Uh, it was Steve. It's like I play a nerd, but don't be fooled. I'll yeah, kick your ass. Don't be fooled. <laughs> <laughs> Too smooth. Right. So he starts amassing like little followings at each middle school. And at a certain point, like he's with the, the group that he's with at the current school that he's going to and they're yeah. out they're out somewhere and they run into like a group of friends that he had from a different middle school Oh, and he starts, that's kind of how the beginning of half the groups started is yeah. like, he starts getting these kids from different schools to like, at first they're not sure about each other, but he like yeah. talks to their leader and he's like, they're cool. And you know, and then he's got to, <laughs> he's got this group and you can picture yeah. it in a, a cheesy movie or something. Right. We watched a, a kind of borderline <laughs> cheesy movie with uh, Jamie Foxx actually on Tookie's life. Oh, I tried, man. I tried it's to based it. off of his book, uh, the Blue Rage, Black Redemption. Yeah. Apparently, it has a slow beginning. Yeah, you know, I I, 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 I I made a turn midway through. I was, did you? The, in the beginning, I was like, this feels like a lifetime movie. Yeah, I, I couldn't get into it, and then I thought, you know what? It's probably not that factual anyway. So pretty, I so I went in. Pretty much, what saved it was Jamie Fox, phenomenal actor. Yeah, and that's the only reason I even gave it a shot. Every other actor in the movie was pretty bad, so that's <sighs> kind of like what ter- took me out of it. Is the writing was kind of cheesy, and yeah. then you know it's got some like lifetime actors in it, but it's got Jamie Fox. So like the longer the movie goes yeah. on, it's more Jamie Fox. Jamie Fox so. was one of the celebrities that went to bat for Tookie. Yeah, um, so he yeah him and Tookie him among friends. many others, and we'll get to it. Yeah, um, so Tookie starts amassing these these groupings, and then uh, this leads us to 1971 at Washington High School. Um, where Tookie met uh, a guy by the name of Raymond Washington, and Raymond was accompanied Uh-oh. by a guy named Bulldog. I don't. It didn't say his real name, but Bulldog. <laughs> Bulldog and Raymond approached Tookie because Tookie had this reputation, right? And they come up to him at high school and they pitch uh, the idea of maybe joining because Raymond had his followers, much like Tookie had, right? But his followers were on the east side, yep, East LA. Tookie had his West LA, right, so they're covering group. way more ground, and right. you know, multiplying quickly right and, and they they're t- like do we just become best friends <laughs> <laughs> right. let's make a bunk bed <laughs> and talk gangs things like the rocket gibraltar <laughs> right. yeah so he, they approach tookie and they pitch this idea of maybe joining groups yeah tookie thinks on it for a day or two and comes to the conclusion that it'd be probably a good idea to to join up and have as much power as possible to def- mainly the idea behind their they weren't even really calling it a gang yet. It was more just a group of guys that could right. protect themselves against gangs because and in the, the streets, walking home, like we talked not about. Not only you, against gangs, but also against police brutality. Yeah. Like these guys weren't, this gang at this point, their numbers were large enough to where they were, they were branching out. They were really sticking up for themselves at right. this point, or so they thought. Yeah. You know, they were, they were standing up for things they believed in. They weren't getting pushed around by anybody. People, right. Other gangs in the neighborhood. Strength in numbers. Yeah. Older guys. Uh, shit. Cops. Right. I mean, yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause I mean, not only if you're a, a, a lone um, black kid walking through the streets during this time, um, are you a, a target by other gang members or just by anyone in the street, but also right. by the police? Uh, that's a fact. I mean, yep. the police were definitely, there was some institutionalized racism going on where if they see oh, a black yeah. kid walking down the street, you're, Definitely at risk to, you know, get whatever assaulted, yeah. frisked, just, you know, they could just point at you and blame you for some crime that happened because you happen to look similar to a, a perp they're looking for or, or what, shit, whatever man. it be. If they or, just had it out for you. For, or you're on the wrong block. Right. I mean, yeah. Like if you if you go out of your quote unquote neighborhood mm-hmm. or, you know, then they're going to they're going to question you. Yeah. You walk to you walk to the wrong McDonald's or whatever. Yeah. Know? Shit, man, you can get picked up for no reason. Whereas if you're in a group, much less likely for the police right. to do that to you or for you to be a target of other gang members or yeah, 
just any right anybody looking to get something off of you. Right. Here's another quote. Uh, For us, the alliance would commence an urban cleansing of the gang element, or so we thought. Right. They, at this time, they're still trying to like get rid of gangs. They're trying to get enough powers they're, they're and travel over. enough to where the gangs don't have any power. Yeah. And ironically, because the gangs are all ironically, over. they become a gang. Oh yeah. No, inevitably is more. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like the warriors during this time. There's so many of these like little gangs running around, and they all have cheesy names too. Imagine them on roller skates almost. There's like <laughs> leather just a, jackets. Just a few examples from the book that I read: the Walnuts, the Bishop Gang, the Chain Gang, the Figueroa Boys. And many, many others were gangs right. that were battling it out during this time, running around. And these guys would also end up clashing with uh, I mean, the Crips. Right. And inevitable is a great word because what did these guys expect? I mean, yeah. just because you're a bunch of guys doesn't mean you're not going to fight back. And then yeah. when you fight back, then that requires retaliation. Yeah. And then violence on breeds and violence. on and on yeah. and on and on. Violence breeds violence, yep. whether you're defending yourself or not. It's they, just never ending. Yep. They take out one of yours. You take out one of theirs. They take out one of yours. Yep. Back and forth, man. It doesn't end. And it goes on to the point where once the Crips blow up and they, they keep expanding and then there's yeah. different sets and then the sets, the sets of the Crips start going at it with each other yeah. and they're having meetings and then one guy gets shot at the meeting and then they're back at war again. And it's yeah. like, you guys are supposed to be on the same side. You're flying the same right. colors. Um, the Crip name... We've kind of jumped right into it, but how did how that got established was uh, very. There's a lot of different stories on it, and I have Tookie's story from his book. Mm-hmm. He said that it was initially they had a bunch of different names. I wish I had them in front of me. Uh, they're like, man, oh, I, wish I, could. I might funny. just have to find that chapter real quick because they they were there was discussion. They all kind of threw in the hat for like Raymond had Raymond's was the cribs. That's where it started. Cribs with a B. Cribs with a B, and that's right. what they ended up going with. They had a bunch of like names. I wonder why. Why the Cribs? Because they were so young. Because they, they were, were like so young. 16, okay. 17 at this time. That's actually kind of cool. Right. So they started with Cribs, but then it turned into Crips after they kept mispronouncing it. After when, they'd be, <laughs> when they'd be real fucked up, they'd be drunk, and they'd it's start like, calling it the Crips. Motherfucker, sounds like you're saying Crips. <laughs> uh, that sounds cool. I Let's roll with it. Crips. <laughs> You know what? Fuck it. We'll just change it. It's easier to change the shirts now. Yeah. We, we, we're too deep. <laughs> <laughs> it's Crips now, damn it. It's Crips. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now they, they've become the Crips. The West and the East Side Crips would uh, compete to see who could beat down and steal more from gang members in the area. They started getting competitive, getting competitive with each other, but they right. stayed they stayed cool. Ultimately, I guess they would have like every Saturday, the West and the East Side Crips would have like a football game. Oh, like a tackle football game Hell to yeah. kind of like decide who is the shit, you know? I bet they did. Yeah, I bet they did. That's a that's a good way to do it. Yeah, it's good friendly competition. That's what sports are for, right? It's camaraderie. That's right. That's one thing I love about sports. It's the yeah. ultimate equalizer. There's no races that matter. If you're good on like a playing field with sports, yeah, you know, you're I, good. Yeah, Period. all everybody gets along. It's great. That's right. It's phenomenal. Um, initially, the Crips uh, refused to use guns and would only fight other gangs. Uh, like hand to fisticuffs, hand to hand combat, maybe some weapons here and there, but not, no yeah. guns. That didn't last very long, though. No, but it's like we talked about. It was inevitable that they would right. go that direction because they had to. It, yeah, because what's going to happen? That like we talked about, their the, army's their getting growth, stronger. Their growth was way yeah. more expansive than the other smaller gangs. Oh yeah, they blew up for whatever reason. It just, it just. I guess it was the leadership of Raymond and uh, Tookie. They were just like really charismatic just yeah. they 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 would go out recruiting and they were recruiting at a much higher pace than the other gangs were right some people are made to be leaders man yeah and some people have it so that must have been partly partly what it was then also the awesome crips name 
because yeah. we heard some of the other shitty gang names. <laughs> 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 Am I going to be a part of the Figueroa boys <laughs> or the Crips? Come uh, on. <laughs> I'm not even sure what a Crip is, but I'm going to go with that. <laughs> right. Um, they, but they would end up getting, because they were the higher, they had the, the higher numbers, they, would, they were winning all these battles. So what would happen was the other gangs would show up with guns. Yep. And for a while, the Crips would just, their thing was flight instead of fight. Instead mm-hmm. of taking them head on, if they couldn't, because the other people had guns, they would just run. Right. But at a certain point, they got cornered. And shot at, and they eventually ended up yeah, getting enough's enough. Yeah, yeah, getting guns of their own. Um, he would finally be took. He would finally be booted from high school um, around this time when he tried to choke a guy out with a hoisting chain in an auto sh- during auto shop class. Dang. This was at California High. Um, after that, no high, no other high schools would accept him. <laughs> so, well, that's so not fair. He didn't. I guess <laughs> I, he got forced to drop out. I suppose you could say. But that's that's a pretty beautiful image. You know, the, the hoisting chain for the motor, and he's just like yeah, like from a cherry picker. Yeah, <laughs> he's just got wrapped around the guy. Jesus, <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> I wonder what led to it. Like, was he was he? They thought he thought they were trying to take advantage of him. Like, yeah, he was getting his caprice worked on, and they were like, ah, oh. they're like trying to charge they're him argue- too much. Yeah, they're arguing about when he. Motherfucker, them tires ain't even at the wear bars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know, but uh, but that- we're approaching the. Uh, the main event here in Tookie's life, aren't we? What's that? The murder. The murders. Yeah. Well, that's why we're here. It's still it's still going to be a while before that. There's he goes through several years. Um, I have some quotes from his book here that we can refer to as far as what's going on during this time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still building up the gang, and not only you know now that they're getting weapons and they're becoming more well armed, like the other gangs are starting to realize that they're outnumbered now. So yeah. they're starting to combine as well, and guess what they become? Yeah, and Tookie's doing, this is around a time when he's ex- experimenting with drugs, right. like crazy drugs, too. Right. Um, he said, uh, uh, it was also where I introduced myself to a variety of drugs, including paper acid, called blotter acid back then. I tried orange sunshine, micro dot acid, but I referred window pane because it kept me hyped without tripping out and seeing bizarre things. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, some of those sound really fun. Right. It, <laughs> He said, admittedly, I did see traces after images, like when I spit or waved my hand, but that was tame in comparison to seeing monsters and other horrors. It was odd that acid didn't seem to affect my energy or strength while driving iron. Talking about lifting weights. Right. We got to get more into the, his... Uh, this is also when he gets real into lifting and, and gets that tookie frame because throughout most of what we... Pretty much the entire story so far, what mm-hmm. we've covered, he's more of a slender, skinny guy... Athletic, fast. Yeah, I'd say athletic build. Yeah, yeah. When they would have those Saturday football games, one obviously one of the better ones. His yeah. mother was a track star and all. More that of a stuff. wide receiver build right now. But during this time, he starts getting obsessed with with lifting because he liked the image of it. He liked the yeah. fear. He liked to install fear in other people when he would arrive. Right. It was more about the image than it. Well, was he had there. a family member that just came from jail. Whose name he only referred to him as Brock. Uh-huh. He referred to him in the book Life in Prison, uh, which he wrote in '98. Uh-huh. And I, I read that one, and he said that. He when he got out of prison, his cousin yeah. or family member or whatever would just amaze him and his friends, like in this gang, with these prison stories. Like yeah. he would totally over romanticize prison, right. and there would be pictures of them like on the yard, like lifting this ridiculous weight, and all these fucking buff dudes, mm-hmm. and that just sparked something in Tookie, and he was like, "That's what I want to be. I want to be a badass among badasses." Like Brock would would paint this picture of a prison like a gladiator school, like yeah. it was like. This is where you come to prove that you're really a fucking man. Right. Like, if you're not the toughest in here, you're not the toughest. Right, right, right. 
So, you know, Tookie kind of took that as a challenge, I think. And a lot of these other boys did as well. That's why they didn't fear prison because they're like, hey, when I get to go there, I just get to prove myself. Yep. Well, prison is just another way. I I feel like gangs are so, they've got to be so intoxicating to someone like Tookie who's really not had many options in life. And then you have a chance to be a part of something. You've got a group of guys that you're all kind of in it for the same common goal. It's almost like joining the army in a sense. It's also something that's intoxicating idea to a young man that has no direction to go in and he can go into this thing and become somebody, maybe not to society, but to those group, the group that he's in, he can be the shit, you know? Oh, absolutely. And they'll all die for each other and that type of thing. You know, they're part of something that has a name behind it that they created and prison's probably a lot the same way. They go in there and then it's a whole new world that you're in outside of the real world but it's your own little world. And if, right. you're, if you're the shit in there, yeah, you know what I mean? That's all that matters to you at that point. Yeah, it's basically like being, he was at a point where he was, in a way, being kind of worshipped by right. like, these other gang members. That's I'm like, really all humans want, right? That's we want, we want to find shit. a place to fit in well, on a much smaller that we scale, matter in. Yeah, on a much smaller scale. Like imagine when you're with your 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 circle of friends. I think everybody has, kind of has that, maybe that close group of friends or family yeah. members that when you're with them, like you're totally yourself and that person gets to, those people get to see you at your best. Like you're funny, you make them laugh. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you guys have a good time. You kind of, you're kind of on that high. Like yeah. you can't do anything wrong. Yep. Imagine that times probably like a hundred thousand. Yeah. yeah, Or a thousand. Yeah. yeah with Tookie. And then when he starts getting more and more like that image, he has like his, I forget what he had, like a badass. Um, like Oldsmobile or something like a 70 something Hell yeah. he had a cutlass so he would roll up yeah he, roll, so he rolls up in his cutlass with his fucking 22 inch greased up pythons dude he would even like he would even oil himself up yep suspenders so he starts getting a little homoerotic at a certain point starch them jeans bro <laughs> starch yeah them jeans can stand up in the corner leather jackets when he's not yeah. got his shirt off most time at a certain point you're not fitting those pythons into a leather jacket <laughs> so then he just started going shirtless everywhere right and he would show up to like he would show up to these because there at the time there's also like um, betting going on on fighting, yeah, um, fist fights. You oh know? yeah, get, groups would get together and they would fist fight each other and guys would bet on them and whatnot. And Tookie yeah. would roll up with his oiled up shirtless <laughs> giant, you know, freaking muscle bound body, yeah. and challenge any of them, any of the people there to fight. Yeah. And if no one stepped up, he said he would just walk up to uh, people in the group and just start sucker punching. Yeah, yeah, he was he was already a skilled fighter. Yeah. And then now he's 300 pounds of fucking Five muscle. Five foot 10. <laughs> of muscle, like a freaking right. tree stump. Dude, I'm just, I mean, if you haven't Googled this guy yet, just Google image <laughs> and just like, your mind will be blown by these arms. I love that Same. one image where he's turned sideways and he's really flexing the tricep. Yeah. He's got the big pro. Oh my God. Yeah. Right? I mean, dope, man. he actually at a certain point tried out to be in uh, a bodybuilding competition. He did. He was, he was declined because of his gang activity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was like an amateur bodybuilding competition, which everybody says he would have destroyed. Yeah, yeah, he had a he had a great physique. Yeah, if he would have shredded it up a little bit more, it's he not like he was just like, like thick Olympia. all the way through. He had the small waist with the giant upper body. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. He he had a great frame yeah. from the start. Yeah. yeah, that's why Arnold. That's why Arnold didn't like him. Yeah, <laughs> he's a threat. <laughs> he's uh, and so there's another quote from the uh, book. Uh, and this is talking about the years that were leading up to the murders here. Right. Uh, the years 1977 and 1979 were the lowest points of my life. I allowed drugs to rule my consciousness and render me an, an addict. Yeah. Much of my existence in one fashion or another was connected to drugs. Having used marijuana, angel dust, LSD, barbiturates, cocaine, tie stick. I don't even know what that is. And glue. So they were huffing glue a lot. Mm-hmm. I heard a lot about that in that the book for years. They've been right. doing that. And that's, you know, killing drug, uh, killing brain cells like crazy. Oh, hell yeah. 
Um, none of these were more chronic than Sherm, a cigarette soaked in psychic. I can't even read that. Fetal, settling, some shit known as PCP. So PCP laced cigarettes. Oh yeah, that shit we know. He is... relied heavy on PCP. PCP was his PC... favorite. Can you imagine how scary a PCP'd up, freaking jacked tookie coming at you would be? That's, yeah, that's just he was unstoppable. It's the scariest thing ever. But he was addicted to PCP. It was actually a weakness, I think, for him. Yeah, he just he needed it to function at one point. I mean, it was it was pretty crazy. Yeah, came incredibly dependent. Yeah. Uh, so this kind of leads up to why we're telling the story because we're not going to be talking about the show just telling this guy's life story without some horror. Yeah, so far, to it. so far, he kind of sounds like a hero. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. <laughs> Tell you hear these hear these stories, which she would later deny. But there is some evidence supporting that he did them. He maintained his innocence till he died. And we already read how much crazy drugs he's doing. He's seeing monsters and, and visualizations yeah. with some of them. And he's also got a, an image thing where he likes to be known as a bad motherfucker. You know? Yep. Yep. And this kind of thing plays to you, you don't fuck with Tookie. He will, right. he's got bodies on him. He'll kill, you know. Not oh, only yeah. does he want to be known for be, I'm sure he probably wanted the image of somebody who would kill somebody if. Oh, hell know. yeah. He had to have it. Right. Part Regardless of, me, of who he really was. Right. Part of me wonders if, you know, if I was, if me or you grew up yeah. in the exact environment as Tookie Williams as a child, how differently it'd probably go in the same direction as far as. Uh, yeah. I mean, most of those kids did. Yeah. You, you would have to dabble in it at least a little bit. Right. You'd have to. Yeah. At some point in time in your life. I mean, unless you moved out of the area. Yeah. That's what those guys talk about all the time. They're like, I got to get out of here. You yeah. know, if I don't get out of here. That's my future. Yeah, a lot. Of, how many uh, professional athletes do you hear from that grew oh, up in all that the time. type of environment where they're like, "This sport saved my life" because yeah. I was either going to be end up dead or in prison. Yep, I would have never made it out without without sports. Yeah, right. and a lot of times it's because of one teacher, one coach that you know pushed them and they respected that ended up saving them. Yep, and keeping them in that sport that got them out. That's right. And even then, some of those guys still can't stay out, man. Sometimes they have roots yeah. and their past comes back. You've seen that. There you go. Aaron with, Hernandez. With different athletes. Yeah. Aaron Hernandez. Sometimes is a prime their past example. comes back. Dude had it all. He's yeah. getting millions of dollars playing for the best football team at the time, you know, playing in Super Bowls and whatnot. And he's still going out murdering people. Yeah. Because he just couldn't get away from those guys. That right. was his biggest problem is that he, we could do an episode on him, really. Yeah, his probably. biggest issue was that he got drafted to a team that was in the area that he grew up in, and he didn't get away from the that's right the guys that he grew up with. So, getting to the uh, supposed murders, if, yeah. depending <laughs> on which side you want to look at this from, right? Uh, in the early morning hours of February 1979, Tookie and three friends were riding around in two cars, smoking PCP laced cigarettes. This is the police's story, just to be clear. Right, looking to make some money. After making two unsuccessful restaurant and liquor store robbery attempts, they eventually went to a 7-Eleven store where a 26-year-old Army veteran and father of two, Albert Lewis Owens, was working the overnight shift and sweeping the parking lot. Armed with a shotgun, now, Tookie did, in the book, I did read where he talked about buying a shotgun right around this time, so yep. that doesn't look good, because this yeah. is in his own book where he's talking about this. So. And he also didn't keep the shotgun with him. He stored it at a friend's house. So why would you, why would you buy a gun and not keep it at home? If you're only planning on using it as home protection. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Williams led Owens to the back of the store. Owens being the guy that works there, the 26-year-old. Williams took you, led him to the back of the store, while one of the companions emptied the cash register and took $120. This is what what I heard. This murder was totally unnecessary. I mean, well, I guess they didn't have the masks. 
Mm-hmm. I, that's the only reason I can think that he, that took you would kill no him. witnesses type. Yeah, thing. but it's it's a, a because the a guy, robbery for one hundred twenty dollars he wouldn't have gotten in that much trouble anyway. Ultimately, yeah, that's right. But he that's what I'm saying. Was it to make a point or did this guy try to fight back? But like they're on PCP. That's probably the biggest thing. Yeah, most of the articles I read was that the guy they were already had the money out of the cat register open and and out before the guy was even back in the store because when they pulled up the guy was like outside sweeping Uh and then he saw them go in so he's like okay well they need they need help or whatever so he laid his broom and stuff down Uh and went inside and two of the guys that Tookie was with was already at the cash register and then Tookie walks up behind the guy with the shotgun and is like keep moving yeah Uh, Tookie uh, ordered Owens to get on his knees and then shot him twice in the back with the shotgun Uh, Williams later said that he did so to eliminate witnesses one of the accomplices testified. So how can he say he did that and then maintain his innocence? And also I heard a lot about uh, Tookie bragging about this one to his friends. You know, a lot of his... Uh, so his friends said that he said he did that for his innocence, correct? Right. Yeah. Because I haven't seen I haven't seen that quote. That's why I'm asking. Uh, Tookie later made fun, of his noi- made fun of the noises made by Owens when he shot, causing Williams to laugh hysterically. I don't know about that, man. Right, that's just that's, it. Does sound weird, right? It sounds no, like something you would say in court to get the, the that jury on your like, side. Yeah, that sounds like something you would say to make sure this man never comes free again. Right. Yeah, you're pretty much sealing his fate with shitty comments like that, especially gonna, in a police report. If you're going to testify against Tookie, you're going to make sure he goes away because if he gets out, your ass is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to fold you like a pretzel. Right. Uh, <laughs> Eleven days later, this is the next case here. This one's really horrific. 11 days later, at about 5.30 a.m., Tookie and another man broke down the door and entered uh, the Brookhaven Motel on South Vermont Avenue in Los Angeles and shot to death the 76-year-old Tsai Shang Young. Sorry if I'm butchering this. Um, his 60, 63-year-old wife, Yan Yang, and their 43-year-old daughter, Yi Chen Lin. Uh, they took $50 in cash and left. Killed so three people murdered for like 50. a whole family for $50. And their son was upstairs. Um, in their in the apartment at the hotel or one of the hotel rooms, right. and he heard the shots and ran down. And yeah. him and him and his wife found the rest of his immediate family dead. Right. Unreal. And you have to think it stems from the these crazy drugs he's doing. You know, just not because you. I think it causes them just not to think, just to act rash and right, or or to even see the people as more of a threat. When he talked about like he's seen monsters right. and shit, yeah, like. I know Make he claims paranoid. he didn't see anything with PCP, but come on, bro. I mean, at the levels that he was probably taking, right? You can't tell me he didn't have some bad trips here and there. And he, yeah, he could have took anything as a threat, right? And just, or could have just been freaking jacked up on it and just didn't give a shit, right? Like this is the easiest way to get out with this money. Mm-hmm. But man, fifty dollars, damn. Bonnie and Clyde were pulling bigger pulls than that. Right. <laughs> that was in the thirties, <laughs> right? <laughs> fifty bucks, man. Yeah. Damn. Kill three people over that. So basically he killed four people over $170. Yeah. And uh, um, a few weeks later, on March 15th, 1979, uh, he would be end up being arrested. He would be driving around in a car with a friend, and he'd be pulled over by, I believe it was three sheriffs um, that would pull him over. Um, his friend that was riding with him would end up having some kind of a uh, medical emergency at mm-hmm. the scene, and the police would not buy it and they would <laughs> yeah you know beat the guy right. and it was a whole scene and then uh wait a minute now one of oh no never mind that was in prison i'm sorry i was going to say one of his friends in prison was a diabetic who almost died multiple times in prison that might have been him yeah i don't know if that's him or not right uh his nickname was ghetto that's the only thing he referenced okay. as so i don't know 
1981, Williams, uh, Tookie Williams was tried and convicted in Los Angeles Superior Court of all four murders plus two counts of robbery and was sentenced to death on April 20 of that year. So on 420, that's kind of weird. He was sent to Quint- San Quentin uh, Prison. We know all about San Quentin. Yeah. How many cases have we done? Randy Kraft's probably still... He saw Tookie come and go. It's one of the coolest <laughs> still, Johnny Cash records, too. Still chilling. All right. <laughs> yeah, Randy Kraft. Randy Kraft saw him come and go, still sitting there, and he killed 70-something. Right. There's Tookie, who killed maybe four people, maybe if you believe that he's innocent, which yeah. is what he says. Um, yeah, not even in, and Kraft killed well, people just for the hell of it, and Tookie well, at least did it for robbery. Not you, that it makes it better. but Right. Do you know what evidence they had on Tookie as far as these uh, murders go? They claimed that they found – the shotgun was registered to Tookie, yeah. okay, and it was at a friend's house. They found it at, at the friend's house, the okay. same one that he was storing it at. And they linked it to the uh, murders. the shells matched okay. all that shit. Supposedly the Cue shells the, matched. Cue uh, the cold case music with the yeah. slow motion <laughs> the rotating shell. of the shell. <laughs> and, of course, there's a distinctive marking on oh, the shells. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Looks like a C. <laughs> it says crib on it. It says, it says crib. Yeah. Man, I ordered those motherfuckers before we changed the name. <laughs> right. Now, not long after Tookie was initially arrested for the four murders, before his sentence, right. uh, we have to mention that Raymond Washington was murdered. Who was the co-founder of the Crips. Co-founder uh, of the Crips. You guys don't remember. He was yeah. another big gang leader who joined Raymond. And A lot of they people think that uh, Raymond had way more to do with the founding of the Crips than Tookie ever did. And that he was one of the biggest people in, in Crip history, mm-hmm. if not the biggest. To me, it looked like uh, Raymond might have been the brains. Yeah. And Tookie was kind of the, the muscle. muscle. Yeah. yeah. And I think people give image, Raymond. Even, more even the though Tookie was still a very intelligent guy. Yeah. But I, I, I think it, I don't know. I think Tookie was a little more hands-on than Raymond. Yeah. It seemed like. Yeah, I could see that. So. But anyways, he was shot and killed in the streets. Yeah. You know, something that was going, the violence that was going on. There was, I think, during this time, the bloods. I'm not sure when the bloods were founded, but you know that's still going on. But that mm-hmm. through the '90s, that was going on. The bloods and Crips gangs. Everybody knows about the violence that was perpetrated on both sides. Right. This senseless violence where you got just random people that are totally innocent just walking down the street. Maybe they wrong wearing the wrong color, mm-hmm. or people pull up and there's a target that they pull up next to and they start firing and a kid in the house gets killed. Yeah. Just constant, constant. Um, senseless violence that would go on well past Tookie being oh, put on yeah. death row. And then it, like, it, uh, it just escalated got worse. into the 90s. The 90s was real bad. Makes you wonder if there yeah. was like lesser leadership that forgot what this was all about. It was about a lot about hmm. police brutality and, and, and rights and, and brothers sticking but together. And If you look at it this way, though, can't, it's impossible for it not to get worse. Right. Because the further it goes, like we talked about before, okay, it's a perfect example of you got Raymond and Tookie who they just want to be safe first, right? So they just want to be safe. Let's just be together. Let's be safe. And then it's like, oh, we got to defend ourselves. Okay, but we're not going to use weapons. We can't use weapons. So everybody that's joining now, you know, they still think, okay, weapons are bad, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So now they're getting outgunned. Okay, now we need guns. Okay, and then now we need to be, now we need to strike first. You know, it just keeps getting worse and worse. And then as it keeps getting as it keeps becoming more ruthless, you have these young guys joining with it already ruthless. Yeah. See what I mean? There's no steps. There's no stages. They don't see they don't see what got it to the point that it is now. Yeah, they didn't what, see the necessity. They just see like, hey, this is this is what this you is do. the game that we're in. This is what you do to be yep. a man. If you're not doing this, you're not a man here. Right. And you're gonna you're gonna be somebody's bitch. Yep. I mean and it, it can't Well said, well said. It yeah. can't not get worse. Right. Yeah. It's 100%. just gonna escalate. Yeah, so now Tookie's on death row 
as we said in the story, um, in the, the early eighties. And I guess for the first six, seven years, he said that he was just as angry. It didn't change him at all. He, in fact, he was more angry. He was really tough for the prisons to deal with, for San Quentin to deal with. And he would end up being put in solitary confinement. Yeah, or the hole, as he called it. The hole. His book, and yeah. what was his, you said that he, his uh, reasoning for why they put him in there was just, his explanation, had nothing to do with his behavior at all? Yeah, he said in his book, uh, The Prison Life, yeah. or Life in Prison, I'm sorry. Um, he claimed that they only put him in the hole because they were afraid that his presence alone would start gang riots. Okay. So they, they thought it would be better if he's kind of out of sight, out of mind. So he he totally acted innocent, like of all like, the guys, like on, he did almost seven years in the hole just because they right. didn't want people to see him. This is San Quentin we're That's talking crazy. about, right? I mean, yeah, the, they don't the, give a the fuck who you are. Of people that are sitting in there, yeah. There's monsters that have killed into the fifties, sixties of people, seventies. Right. You know, we talked about Randy Kraft, although he's sitting there playing fucking checkers, with, <laughs> sitting there playing checkers with William Bonin. William Bonin, yeah. probably a little different than Tokyo, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh Bonin's in there painting pictures of his van right it's too bad that Tookie didn't go in there and just massacre all those dudes just with one punch kill Randy Kraft <laughs> <laughs> you're getting executed anyway motherfucker <laughs> I'm gonna execute you with this right hook <laughs> yeah dude Tookie could have beat the fuck out of all those dudes too hell yeah William Bonin Randy Kraft yeah there's no van to protect you William Bonin from- they need <laughs> I don't know I think at that point probably uh Bonin and Kraft probably had their their click by then that they they weren't been, walking dude, around by themselves. Nobody was, according to Tookie's it, book. You think about it. Uh, I, bet, I bet you Tookie was in there right about the same time as William Bonin, because Bonin did his killing from like 79 to 80, didn't he? Uh, yeah. I mean, we did that episode a while ago, but it was right around the same yeah. fucking time. Well, Tookie was in there 17 years, dude. Yeah, yeah but there's a lot of people in there at the same time as Tookie. Yeah, you know? that's so crazy to think. It's like yeah. a fucking TV show. It's like you walk in. We've done so many episodes that we we walk through. Like, oh, there's William Bond over there. Oh, there's Randy. Kramer. No, it's like all these oh, people are Tookie. co-starring on each other's shows. <laughs> right. It's like an Adam Sandler group over here. <laughs> right. It's got to like, be better than any of Adam Sandler's uh, yeah. movies, right? <laughs> man, it's so yeah. crazy. It is. It is crazy, man. Um, but like I was saying before, in his book, he he basically said that no one was alone. Yeah. In the caliber of prison of San Quentin, you can't you can't be a loner, and if you are. You're either what they call him a, uh, they call him J uh, Cat. Mm. It was um, because the, the prison classified him as J criminals, the people who, this, now these are criminals who um, went crazy, went mm-hmm. stir crazy, didn't bathe at all, went to the bathroom on themselves, okay. like shouted at people, like literally had been in there so long they just gone nuts, right. like on death row. And like these people would be alone. You know what I mean? And then you also had what you call uh, cell soldiers, right. which Tookie called them. This is, this is interesting shit I found. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tookie uh, said they were called cell soldiers, and they wanted to appear like J-Cats, but they, they weren't. They it wanted just to, to get away from they, people? Yeah. They wanted to appear crazy as a defense mechanism, but they really weren't. So like when you walk by their cell and stuff, like they would, they would shout shit at you and yeah. try to fight you and stuff, knowing that they're in their cell. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah, you can't yeah, get yeah. in there. They like would, a chihuahua behind yeah, the fence. Yeah, behind you, the fence. And you, and you open you go the fence there and, and then like, they run away. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what they were. Yeah. yeah. The cell, cell soldiers is what he called them. Nice. It's kind of cool. I love hearing, like, uh, prison terminology. Oh, I guess. I I love love the, we'll talk about some more later. I just love those shows. I love the lockup shows where you, you see, like, the craziest motherfuckers on the planet and they're yeah. all just like, dogs in a cage just staring at each other like let, yeah. let me out of here you almost want to just like open all the gates and just see what'll happen see what, <laughs> they probably all just fucking run out dude <laughs> except for one they were right <laughs> no it's the book is really good though 
Um, it, it's called Life in Prison. It was published in 1998. Okay. Um, yeah, you I, said it's a pretty it's, short, it's very short, easy read. Yeah. Very short. It's like 80 something pages. Okay. I read it twice. Like it's it's really good actually. Nice. It's really like it's really interesting. It's yeah. just his account. It's his firsthand account. To, to, so it's what I should have read because the book I got I didn't finish because it was 333 pages and I'm working full no, time with a child and I don't have time to read it. In a no, week. your book was way better for the background. I think. Okay. Yeah. That's um, pretty much what I made it to, too. I made it yeah. like 60 pages in, which was pretty much like his early days. And you got right. the more later stuff, which yeah. so it worked out. It's, it's really cool. It's like his, it's like a, that book is basically an open letter to teenagers. And he's like literally talking to kids. Like he's referencing them. He's like, if you want to know how I feel, you know, lock yourself in your bathroom for That's 10 hours. That's where we're getting to in the story. This yeah. is where the story takes a turn. This is why we're doing this story. Yeah. I mean, there's a million tookies out there thus far, what we've told of the story, where there's yeah. guys that got into gang and they did some brutal shit, you know, and then they say they're innocent and yada, yada. The story is old as time, pretty much. This this is this, the reason Tookie this, lives on. This is why we're talking about Tookie, because once he was on death row and he got put in the hole, after two years of solitary confinement, he changed his ways. And Although he was ex- in there in a total extreme, of six and a half. In an extreme fashion, changed his ways yeah. to where he started writing children's books and completely flipped his script on his thoughts on gangs. Now, real quick, though, just to be clear, I mean, it's is not like children's books. It's not like Alan brushes his teeth. Right. It's not like that, like with animations and shit. Like this is It's helpful shit to try and get this, kids that were in the same type of situation growing the, up in yeah, squalor right. to the, not do what he did. Exactly. These are basically very long open letters to the youth. Yes, of of his where of his neighborhood and other areas, right? That were like, and that. they did well. And schools started picking up these books and reading them to to. Dude, if if you read that kids. book, you will fucking not never want to go to prison. You will never want to go to prison. Right. I mean, I don't want to go to prison. I didn't want to go to prison before. It sounded pretty awesome before the book. I'm but, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't really want to go to prison before. It wasn't my favorite, right. you know, ending to my life. Right. But. Now I really don't want to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so mission accomplished. Okay. Mission accomplished. Okay. <laughs> I'm dropping all my gang affiliations. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, he starts writing these books. He's doing interviews. He's becoming an activist yeah. from behind bars um, mm-hmm. for anti-violence, anti-gang. You know, and it, it really was making a difference. Um, in 1996, Williams pu- uh, published his first book, "Gangs and Wanting to Belong." Um, with co-author Barbara Becknell. Yeah, she played a big part in his life. Um, She was not only his co-author, but she became a really good friend and was there for the rest of his life. Yeah. Uh, The next year, Tookie wrote an apology for co-creating the Crips, where he claims, thanks to the Almighty, I am no longer sleepwalking through life. And he said that he thought that that Crippin was the only way of life, Yep. and that's the only way to live. (laughs) Yeah, that's what that's Making up verbs. Crippin. Cripple. We didn't even talk about crip walking, man. I used to have uh, oh, yeah. kids in school that would do that. Did you? Yeah. Did you, yeah. yeah maybe, obviously, they were terrible at it. But uh, crip walking was a big thing back in the day. Oh, yeah, it sure was, dude. Yeah. That's a good point. I forgot all about that shit. <laughs> but, he, but he thought cripping during his years of doing it that that was the only way of life. Like, yeah. There's no like if if I'm not cripping, I might as well be dead. Right. But then, you know, after a couple of years in solitary confinement to really go outside of himself. But wouldn't a man say anything in that situation though? Dude? Yeah, that's what you have. God that's, damn, I'd say anything. Right. I'd say anything to get out of that shithole. Yeah. Anything. They, they say there's nothing worse than being in solitary confinement. No, like nothing compares to it, it seems. Like it makes people go mad. Yeah. It's It shows you how badly we need human interaction. Yeah, we do. It's crazy. We really do. It I turned mean, a guy like Tookie into a docile, you know, guy who ch- completely changed. He, he seemed like a guy that was completely... 
never going to change. He was so hardcore. Yeah. So one even so, so far six one years way, into yeah. his his prison sentence in San Quentin, he was only getting worse until they put him in the hole. Yep, crazy. Um, he then pem- uh, published his memoir on life, the one that I read in 1998. No, that's the that's, that's the one you read. Yeah, life in prison. Okay, uh, he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for literature because of his book, and was eventually nominated five times for the Nobel Peace yeah. Prize. He never uh, actually received one though. Yeah. In 2002, he tried for an appeal, but the U.S. Circuit Court upheld his conviction of death. However, they pleaded with the governor, Gray Davis at the time, for clemency since Tookie had been doing so much anti-gang work, uh, but the governor wasn't buying it. And in yeah, 2000, here's your book right here. In 2004 yeah. was when he published the book that I read, Blue Rage, Black Redemption. Which is also what the movie's based on with Jamie Foxx. Yes, and this was leading up to, he was scheduled for his execution was in 2005. Correct. So this is like December his last, of 2005. Yeah. his last hurrah, his last workings. Yep. Um, in November of 2005, a month before he was due to be executed, the media and community organized um, and started speaking out and trying to save Tookie. And yep. many celebrities stepped up. You got, well, there was just as many on the other side, too. Yeah, no doubt. Which, yeah, we'll get to that. But you had Snoop Dogg act he big time. He yeah. went and saw him in prison. He yep. has photos with Tookie. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie Foxx is Jamie when you Fox. talked about. Who else? Um, there, was a, there was also big groups. Uh, the campaign to end the death penalty, uh, the NAACP, um, the Answer Coalition, which I, hadn't heard, I, had, I didn't know who that was. Um, I know. I probably should now that I when I read up on it, but it's called Act Now to Stop War and End Racism. Okay. Um, which I've seen. I've seen things that they've been involved in. I just didn't recognize the acronym. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, those were some. Those are some big groups yeah. to be involved in. You know, they were having regular rallies mm-hmm. for his to at least get clemency. At least to, they weren't even trying to really, you know, get him off. They were just trying to be like, don't kill let, the guy. Let him keep doing his work. Let let him do that, or at the very least, let's delay the death penalties in California until we can, until we can fix this crooked justice system that we got now. Yeah. So they they believed there, there was a big belief, and there still is with the death penalty. There's mm-hmm. still a lot of people who, who believe very divisive subject. It is. There's a lot of, and there's great points on both sides there too, is. man. You start looking into it, and man, every article you read, you're going back and forth. Yeah. You're like, oh, we need the death penalty. Oh, I shit, think it, dude, we I do think not it, need the death penalty. I think it just needs to be. I think it needs to be case by case. I think in in Tookie's case, I'll just give my opinion. In in uh, two thousand, what was it? Two thousand two, when he tried for an appeal after he'd been for years now mm-hmm. doing good work and, and like kind of trying to write. I mean, you can't fix what he did. If he if he really did kill that family and he really did kill the guy at the convenience store, right? You can't take that back. It was horrific. And if you're a member of those families, I don't blame you for wanting to see him killed. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, what good does it have? What what good does it do to have him dead when he's doing some? He's definitely. It's hard to argue that he was doing good for young kids that were struggling, right? Know, kids that were like him at, when he was younger, right? You know, it's like ultimately, if you can set aside his past, yeah. I think we we all change, man. You know, like we do. I think there's times where I think back to like stuff when I was a teenager that I would do, and I'm like, I would never do that now. I'm a totally changed oh, person. Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, there's t- times where you're like, I can't believe I lived like that for a while. Right. All of us, you know, we almost feel like we live multiple lives throughout our lifetime. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then when you run into people from that p- time period, it's like you don't recognize them I'm not them even either. that person anymore. Yeah. You know? You're not that person. They're not the person you knew. Right. Yeah. No, I, I get it. I mean... Uh, um, and then you look at like a guy like Randy Kraft who never admitted to doing any, like killing those 60-something guys, yeah. maybe more, and never changed, and he never gets fucking killed. He's still sitting there. How the fuck... 
is he not dead? But Tookie's dead. Like that's well, where I'm just like, what the fuck? <laughs> There's one obvious reason, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's, it's just it craziness. Sucks, man. It, it does. I mean, I could definitely see, I definitely see just giving him life. I, I, that's that's where Let I'm him at. Keep with doing the his work, man. That's where I'm at with the situation. Don't know. He, he should never get out because what message does that send? Right. You know what I mean? You can't get out, man, because yeah, now you're sending the signal that if you get if you get convicted of murder and you go in and completely change for, you know, if you can show a complete change, mm-hmm. then we're going to let you out. We can't we can't do that. No, of course we can't not. can't do that. But a man who is doing positive and it was it was measurable, mm-hmm. like you could actually see the change. Yeah. There's no harm in just leaving him there. Right. Like it's actually more expensive to kill somebody. Mhm. Uh, like a normal execution cost, I think it all in all, I think it costs somewhere around two hundred million dollars right. to execute somebody. Now, what in what if in his case, Tookie's case, the book sales from his children's books and whatnot? What if though that money went to pay for his stay at the prison? Like if you started using the money that he was doing good well, things with for well, well, dude, Tookie didn't have money problems in prison. First off, why is that? People were taking care of him. Oh, were they? Tookie was one of the only people on death row that had money. Like, he, he would, like, buy stuff from the canteen. He had, like, a TV okay. in his cell. I'm not saying he was living lavish or nothing right, like right, that. Right. <laughs> but he he had money. Like, yeah. he, he he bought different foods and stuff. He had food ordered and brought in mm-hmm. and stuff. You were, you were allowed to order, like, 30 pounds worth of food, like, a week. And then he would, like, share it with other inmates okay. and stuff, too, which was, which was cool. Yeah. You know, because a lot of them didn't have family members or friends or anybody that gave a shit about them, much less going to send them money. Right. And you weren't allowed to have jobs either as a death row as a, as a death row inmate. You're not allowed to work. Yeah. You're not permitted to work. Right. So. Oh, so so on the other side, what we were talking about, we talked about how many people came out in support of Tookie trying to save him. Right. Uh, a local radio talk show called the the John and Ken Show in yeah, L.A. Yeah, sounds reputable. Yeah, the John and Ken Show <laughs> in L.A. started a Tookie Must Die. It's more like, welcome back to the John and Ken Show. Tookie Must Die. This next hour, it's Tookie Must Die for killing four innocent people. And then and we're playing Jeff's game, Guess Who Farted? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We've got balloons here with Tookie's face, and we're going to see who can pop one with uh, shooting a dart out of their asshole. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. Oh, my right. God. It's like on, uh, what is it, on Parks and Rec? <laughs> Welcome back to the douche. <laughs> right. We have a guy, we have a, a local DJ in Vegas named uh, Gooch. This is his local DJ name, Gooch. What station he, is he on? And I've heard he's a douche. 92.3, the comp, oh. comp, oh, the rock yeah, station. Yeah, the hard rock station. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but there were obviously a lot of groups that we talked about. By the end of November, nine, more than 175,000 Californians had signed a posi- uh, petition to temporarily suspend the execution of Tookie Williams. Wait, did you mention what the talk show was doing? Uh, they were doing the hourly, or once a day, they were doing an hour called Kill Tookie Must Die, right? Yeah. Oh, you mentioned that? Yeah. Sorry, I don't listen to you sometimes. They did an hour every day until the day... <laughs> He was scheduled to be executed. Yeah, every day they did it. Yeah. Um, so they, like we said, the and by the end of November, 175,000 people had signed the petition. In December of 2005, just before his execution and his final appeal, Williams tried to claim uh, shoddy forensics is what led to his conviction. But then again, he was denied by the California Supreme Court. And here come in comes again the Terminator. The Terminator. Arnold Schwarzenegger says, "You're terminated. No more. <laughs> no more Tokyo Williams. I can't have those biceps around me anymore. I can't look at them." 
<laughs> Even though you're 50 and nowhere near your old figure. You're still doing too many push-ups you're in your cell. <laughs> I can't do it. Oh, funny thing about uh, him having a workout in his cell. It was mentioned in the book. He was so big that he there was not enough floor space for him to actually do push-ups. No way. Yeah, like his shoulders and when no his, way. Get when his arms flexed out to the side, there was not enough room. So he had to get on top of his bunk, move his bed to the middle, get on the top bunk, and work out. Put the bunk on his back. <laughs> yeah, he put the bed on his back. It wasn't enough weight. He's like curling his bed frame. He's got three inmates sitting on the bunk bed while he does push-ups. guy walks by, he's like, hey, wasn't that, uh, wasn't that bolted to the floor? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, so the governor would um, hold a behind-closed-door meeting, um, giving both the defense and prosecutor 30 minutes to plead their cases, where he eventually molded over for four days and decided uh, when kindergarten <laughs> cop rejected... <laughs> what did you write in here? <laughs> December 12th, when kindergarten cop rejected old Tookie's bid for clemency and stated that the possible irregularities for Williams... <laughs> you better try- read the whole thing in his accent. All right, here we go. The possible irregularities for Williams' trial have been thoroughly and carefully reviewed by the courts and there's no reason to disturb the judicial decisions that uphold the jury's decisions for his guilty of four murders and should pay for his life. The basis of his request for clemency is the personal redemption Stanley Williams has experienced and the positive impact of his message since, yet it is impossible to separate Williams' claim of innocence from his claim of redemption. Cumulatively, <laughs> the evidence demonstrating Williams' is guilt of these murders is strong and compelling. There is no reasons to second-guess the jury's decision of guilt or raise significant doubts of reasons, reservations of Williams' convictions and death sentence. Oh, very good, Arnold. Very good. <laughs> Get terminated. <laughs> Later that day, Tookie had one more person going to bat for him, a lawyer by the name of Jonathan Harris. This is actually kind of good evidence right here. Filed a but res- it was just too late. Yeah. Um, filed a response saying that he had new evidence that Took was innocent. You want to read this? Yeah, well, the article, the article that he submitted referenced a statement by a guy named Gordon Ellerman. Um, and he stated... He believed Williams was innocent, and he knew it because a mutual cellmate of his and Tookie's, a man by the name of uh, George Oglesby, actually told Ellerman that he had been receiving police documents on not only Williams, but other inmates, other inmates too. And so, so he could have this information and then testify in court and back up the police's reports. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? So the police had all this shit in their report that they were saying in court, and then they were sharing these reports with Oglesby and then Oglesby would hit the stand and just back him up right in exchange for a lighter sentence and you know okay. days or months off his sentence or whatever right 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 clemency then, or whatever right and then uh, Ellerman also claimed that he saw Oglesby studying Tookie's handwriting like he was I don't know somehow he got a he got a hold of some of uh, Tookie's writing or mm-hmm. whatever or maybe Tookie wrote to him I don't know right and um and he practiced writing like Tookie so and then he was writing incriminating letters that appeared to be from Tookie. Like one of them was about um, an escape plan where uh-huh. they would where they would kill a, a prison bus driver and drive the bus oh, out. Jeez, yeah. So that looked pretty bad. God, why, why but, would they even? I mean, if that's if that is true, it's like why are they going to such lengths to see this guy killed? That's like got to be just racism, right? It's like it's got it's got to be spite. Uh, if it is true, and, obviously, if it is true, yeah. And they wanted him dead that bad. It's just like there's other guys that are sitting there that have done that have killed more people. Yeah, that they're not after so hard, you know, to try and get him killed. It's it's a, it's just weird. I think at this point there was there was things to gain politically, and it gotten it had gotten so big yeah. and gotten so much attention. Yeah, that it was a it was a big victory to win this. Right, in probably ways that we can't even comprehend. Mm-hmm. And on December thirteenth, two thousand five. 
Stanley Tookie Williams was executed at San Quentin State Prison by lethal injection. He was pronounced dead at 9.35 a.m. Pacific Standard. Um, he did not technically have any last words, but he was allowed an interview on a local radio station hours before his execution where he said, I do not fear this barbaric methodology of death. I rely upon my faith. It has nothing to do with machoism, with manlyhood, or with some pseudo-former gang street code. This is pure faith and predicated on my redemption. Right. That's, that's part of his quote, yeah. Yeah, do you want to read the rest? Uh, yeah, so see, he went on to say, So therefore I stand strong and continue to tell you, your audience, and the world, that I am innocent. And yes, I have been a wretched person, but I have redeemed myself. And I say to you and all those who can listen and will listen that redemption is tailor-made for the wretched. And that's what I used to be. That's how I would like the world to remember me. That's how I would like my legacy to be remembered, as a redemptive transition. Something I believe is not exclusive just for the so-called sanctimonious or the elitist. And it doesn't, and it's just like a direct quote, so he kind of stuttered here. He said, and it doesn't or is not predicated on color or race or social stratum or one's religious background. It's accessible for everybody. That's the beauty about it. And whether others choose to believe that I have redeemed myself or not, I worry not. Because I know, and God knows, and you can believe that all of the use that I continue to help, they know too. So with that, I am grateful. I say to you and everyone else, God bless. So take care. Wow. So not uh, this is not the same kind of last day that you get from Alien Warnos, where <laughs> she's talking about no. aliens and sea on the other side <laughs> and shit. It's more of a yeah. And this yeah, and this was before thoughtful, the less angry. Yeah, this was right before, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So it's crazy. So that's, that's much more much thoughtful it. and less angry, more accepting mm-hmm. person. Whereas Alien was fighting the fact that she was about to die. That yeah. is what made it so crazy. It seemed like Tookie was at peace. Yeah. But so many times in the book, he talked about how good he was at hiding things. He talked about how when he was in prison, he would get so homesick that his body would literally ache. Like mm-hmm. he felt like if he could somehow get the bars open and just walk out into the open area, like he would be okay. Mm-hmm. Like he would get so claustrophobic and so so closed in and then he would yeah. have to hide this every day. And like, because he talked about how just after months in prison, everybody you think cares about you, yeah. especially on death row, yeah. they know you're not coming back, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody you think cares about you or is in your life is gone. Right. He said the only person that stuck by him was his co-author mm-hmm. and his mother. There was a pretty cool scene in the movie with Jamie Foxx where you get a kind of a taste of that, the yeah. homesickness and just yeah. wanting to be out where um, the, the lady that's helping him write the book... They're, they're doing constant interviews. She's sitting down with him, and at one point, they get to sit face-to-face, and she brings him a flower from outside. Yeah. And he, he just sits there out, and right? smells it, and yeah. he just, like, starts crying, and it's just like, yeah. He talks about that. He's like, he couldn't even remember what grass felt like. He's yeah. like, I would give anything to walk barefoot on grass. Yeah. Or even lay in dirt. Like, right. he just wanted to be somewhere that wasn't steel and concrete. Mm-hmm. It's so sad, man. Yeah. And then there's there's another instance um, that was really bad day for him. Uh, it was I think it was in 1989. And a huge earthquake had hit California. And he, he said it was so bad, it felt like he was standing up in his cell, and he felt like he was trying to walk on a waterbed. He said that's what it felt like. Oh, shit. It was shaking so bad. And he said he immediately ran to the front of the door and just of the, of the cell so. and just started shaking it. He said as hard as I could. He said I was praying to God that it something would, would happen and it would swing open. He said because I felt like I was going to die. 
Yeah. He said, I already had strong sense of, you know, a strong fear of claustrophobia and, you know, being trapped. You're you're trapped for countless hours in the cell. And then now the ground's shaking and the freaking walls are shaking. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he he said it, it was, he'll never forget that day. It's kind of crazy. Like he didn't scream or nothing. He's like other, he's like the, the howling and the noise was unbearable. Hundreds of prisoners just screaming at the top of their lungs because they all thought they were going to die. He's like, that's how bad it was. That That's that's crazy. It is. Yeah. So you got some uh, fun facts to wrap this up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll yeah, let I you read them because I don't know what they are. You've got a, a little oh, list of fun well, facts. Well, that would be. That's fun a, facts fun. with Michael. Yeah, okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, William's co-author, who we mentioned earlier, uh, Barbara Becknell, said that Tookie had always promised her that no matter what, he would look at her and smile during his execution. And he actually did. Oh, that's fucking actually, crazy. Yeah, he actually looked up at her and found her in the room. There were three people that were there for him. Oh my God. The other two people aren't mentioned. I don't know who they are. It's, okay. it's her, another woman, which I would guess is his mom, mm-hmm. and then another man. I don't know who it was. Okay. Um, but uh, here's another, here's another well, interesting just, thing. How could you not see that every time you like go to bed or close your eyes, though, from forever? Yeah. Well, you know she I mean? said if you're that woman like well, she said she that image it just helped must her. be frozen like a TV that you left on the same channel, you know those old school TVs yeah. when you leave a video game sitting there and it like melts to the screen and it's stuck but there. She, it's got to be that's <laughs> every time you close your eyes it's got to be Tookie smiling at you. But she said it helped her though. It, it helped her know that he was at peace and yeah. you know what I mean that his life meant something, but uh Right. So here's another one. Like during the actual lethal injection process, the medical technicians actually had issues inserting the needles into his skin. Oh my god. And um, the process was usually pretty quick within a few, couple minutes. And his, his whole thing took 20 minutes. He's not 20 mad. minutes. He's like a piece of iron. And here's, and, and yeah. And he, he actually turned and said to him, Are you guys doing that right? This is, this is according to NBC News, okay? This is according to NBC News. So those News. were his last words. Doing, that's what, yeah, right? Isn't that his last words, technically? Right. Like I put that in parentheses. So I'm like, Last words? And then he flexed and the needle snapped. <laughs> At 50 years old. Yeah. So that's. That's that's kind of odd. And let me tell you something else that backs it up. Um, Snoop Dogg actually wrote a poem uh, at his funeral, right? Mm-hmm. And it says, it's it's just a sh- it's like a one liner. At least that's all I could find of it. And it says, it's nine fifteen on twelve thirteen, and another black king will be taken from the scene. Oh jeez. Oh shizzle. No, I had, <laughs> I had that part. But 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 here's what I did though. Like I actually looked at that. I'm gonna and go I was smoke, like, I'm gonna go smoke a beautiful blunt now i was like oh shit 9 15 right so i went back up and i was like he was pronounced dead at 9 35 okay see what i mean so yeah. snoop dogg was was saying at 9 15 another black king will be taken so he's he's insinuating that the execution is about to begin yeah. so that means they started at 9 15 oh my god and man. he didn't die till 9 35 because of the 20 minutes trying yeah, to get it all, his... yeah it all lined up so i, I kind of believe that one like some of these are like from local newspapers yeah. And news outlets, so you know you guys take them for what you will, but that one kind of backs up. Yeah. Um, but uh, like I mentioned earlier, he also had that small cheering section in the back with three people, uh, one of which was his co-author Barbara. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently, according to a San Francisco Chronicle reporter, um, they were throwing up like black power signs and shouting "California is killing an innocent man" and stuff. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think they were so much throwing up black power signs as just probably giving them support and just being like, be strong. I mean, yeah. like, right. Damn. You can't give the man that. Yeah. Like he fought hard right. for, for his race and for what he believed in at the end, at least, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, you can't give him that on his, on his freaking dying day, but right. they even, that just struck me as odd that they're trying to incriminate them with that or, or, or paint that color on them. Yeah. 
that day. I mean, he's only got three people there. Yeah. The room was full of people that wanted him dead, and yeah. you're going to point out the three people that. Yeah. But anyways, um, and Barber was later quoted as saying, we are going to prove his innocence, and when we do, we are going to show Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, in fact, uh, we're going to show Arnold Schwarzenegger is, in fact, himself a cold-blooded murderer. Okay. Okay, so even even if he is innocent, Arnold's still not a cold-blooded murderer. No. <laughs> Let's just get that straight. Right. That's not cold The jury blood. convicted him to be yeah. sentenced to death. It wasn't right. Arnold. Arnold, you know, played his role in, no. in denying the final clemency or whatever, but it's... Yeah. His blood is still pretty warm. Right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mentioned the Snoop Dogg thing. Yeah. and um, Oh, but here's, here's another funny fact. Uh, Tookie was not the only bodybuilder to be convicted of murder. We might have to do this other guy. Yeah. Brutal Bertle Fox. <laughs> Brutal Bertle Fox was a fast. British, um, a British man who he actually was a very good bodybuilder. If you yeah. look this dude up, Brutal Bertle Fox. Bertle is B E R T I L, and Fox F O X. Okay, like this dude was freaking ripped. Like he placed fifth in the Mister Olympia competition in 1983. So I mean, this dude he could have won. Like if you look, you looking him up right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, look him up. He could have won, dude. Like, look, standing next to the guy that won, you're like, uh, I don't know, man. It's weird how they judge that stuff. It is. It you is. Know? It's like, this sometimes, guy's body's more beautiful than the other ones. Sometimes, sometimes the deciding factors are just like genetic things. This like, dude, oh, he's taller. Yeah, this dude is jacked. Yeah, he's freaking Holy huge. Holy crap, his freaking traps. Yeah, he killed his fiance and her mother, though. So that's not oh. a good thing. Okay. And what's funny, though, is his he had the nickname Brutal before he killed him. Well, that's <laughs> so convenient. Yeah. No need, no need foreshadowing. To now, yeah, no need to find a serial killer name now. He's already got one. Yeah, there we go. Brutal Bertle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Brutal Bertle. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> not even going to try and say that in a British accent. Yeah. <laughs> and your last little uh, fun fact here, California currently has the largest death row population, now up to 2,843 people, which changes yeah. daily, so it could be different right, right now. But Right. They're not, they're not putting the most people to death, but they have the largest death row population. Yeah. San Quentin's a, a strange place. That place is going to, if it ever closes down, it's, I would like Dude, to go walk around in there born and see. In, it was made in the 1800s. So crazy. And that's another thing that scared the shit out of him with the earthquake, because he knew that. Yeah, how old it was. I mean, yeah, Tookie was very researched. He researched the prison, you mm-hmm. know, where it came from, everything. Yeah, you can hear interviews. If you go on YouTube, you can hear interviews with Tookie. A lot of people uh, wanted to talk to him during yeah. his final years. And there's a lot of recorded interviews with the guy. Very, very intelligent man. Absolutely. Regardless of how you feel about him, you can't deny that he's he was a smooth talker. No. He was well read. It's yeah. Oh yeah, he had at at no time did he have less than twenty books in his cell at a time, and he was constantly changing them out. Yeah, like I said, because he had he had people giving <clears throat> him money and books and things like that. Yeah, and um, you know, when he wasn't in the hole, when he was in the hole, he said he was only allowed to have like three books. Yeah, everything's different in the hole. All right. Well, I mean, we kind of alluded to it in the beginning, but a lot of people, uh, I've looked at like a lot of comment boards and stuff on Tookie, and some people try to discredit him and say that he tried to, he was more of a third wave uh, crip and he wasn't actually like one of the true founders and whatnot. But either way, he was an interesting case study. And the, and the, yeah. common, the common belief is that he was co founder of it. So yeah. we're going to roll with that. Him and Raymond Washington. I wasn't there, you know, but the common belief is that he was a co founder with Raymond Washington, like you said. Yeah. But, uh, we just in researching this one, I found some other interesting gangsters that we could uh, maybe f- focus on later on. It'd be yeah, fun. Hell yeah. Yeah. This was a fun one to study, man. It really was. Yeah. Guy by the name of Alpo. 
check him out Ooh. in DC. We might have to do an episode yeah. on Alpo in DC. After he got out of gangs, he actually invented dog food. Yeah. Yeah, true story. Grind up his victims. Yeah. Fed them to dogs. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was kind of sketchy, but right. it's healthy, though. You get that, <laughs> that healthy high coat. Pro- high that, in protein. Yeah, that, that high protein, healthy coat. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Stanley Williams? Uh, yes, it is. Thank you for rejoining us. Oh, well, uh, as long as I can. Where did you get the nickname Tookie? Uh, that is not a nickname. That is my middle name. My mother gave me that. In fact, that was my father's middle name as well. And I believe it's my grandfather's middle name. But I know it's my father's uh, for a fact. Stanley Tookie Williams III. Okay, guys, hope you enjoyed that little peek into Patreon land. We'll continue to release one Freeloader series episode every month. But if you just can't wait, again, you can go to patreon.com slash guys and get all caught up there. But if you wish to remain a Freeloader, no big deal. We still love you. You can go on iTunes, leave a five-star review. If you like the show, we really appreciate that. You guys can go on, give us a follow on Twitter, on Instagram, at TrueCrimeGuys. Uh, True Crime Guys on Facebook, and there's a True Crime Guys closed group on Facebook too if you don't want people knowing your creepy obsession. Speaking of obsessions, you can join the tons of people who are obsessed with Oh My Gaia, our sponsor. If you're not familiar with Oh My Gaia, you are in for a treat. Oh My Gaia is an innovative all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural paraben and aluminum-free organic ingredients. There's a ton of scents to choose from, guys. There's vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack. There's something for everybody, I guarantee it. We even have our very own scent called True Crime Pine. And as Lauren likes to say, it can cover up those nasty smells that may linger after a murder, or a crime, or a shit, or whatever. But yeah, you can find them at ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. And good news for you creepers, if you use the code word creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, you can get 15% off your order. So what are you waiting for? Stop putting aluminum shit in your armpits. Put some good all-natural deodorant in there, okay? That's ohmygaia.com. O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. But uh, until next time, guys, keep creeping.